So good morning everybody and welcome. Welcome to Essex Church and to this gathered community of Kensington Unitarians. An inclusive community that encourages each of us to be who we are and to make the most of this gift of life. Life isn't always easy. Only you fully know the burdens and the struggles that you carry with you. But here we know that burdens can be shared and eased a bit through the sharing. That new perspectives can be found here in community with others. So welcome to you all this Sunday morning. And let's together create this time and this space as holy time and holy space. Made holy simply by our presence here together. Our theme this month is paying attention. And today we're noticing the power of, we're noticing the power of noticing the good in life and the way that it can lift our spirits and broaden our horizons. So I invite you all to bring all of yourself to this moment. Let's, let's be here now. Let's allow our breath and our attention to anchor us in this time and space together. And as we light our simple chalice flame, it's one light connecting us with progressive religious communities the world over. May its flame remind us of the flame that burns within us, the flame of compassion, the flame of conviction, the flame of commitment to a cause greater than ourselves alone. This flame connects us all. This is a short story which um, some of you, quite a few of you might have heard before, um, about a man who's helped to change his perspective about his living conditions. So a poor man lived with his wife and six children in a very small one-room house. They were always getting in each other's way and there was so little space that they could hardly breathe. Finally, the man could stand it no more, and he talked to his wife and asked her what to do. Go see the rabbi, she told him. So off he went. And so the poor man told the rabbi how miserable things were at home, with him, his wife, and their six children, all eating and living and sleeping in one room. The poor man told the rabbi, we're even starting to yell and fight with each other. Life couldn't be worse. The rabbi thought very deeply about the poor man's problem. Then he said, do exactly as I tell you and things will get better. Do you promise? I promise, the poor man said. The rabbi then asked the poor man a strange question. Do you own any animals? Yes, he said. I have one cow, one goat and some chickens. Good, said the rabbi. When you get home, 
Take all the animals into your house to live with you. The poor man was astonished to hear this advice from the rabbi, but he had promised to do exactly as the rabbi said, so when he got home, he took all the animals into the tiny one-room house. The next day, the poor man ran back to see the rabbi. What have you done to me? He said, it's awful. I did what you told me and the animals are all over the house. Rabbi, help me. The rabbi listened and calmly said, now go home and take the chickens back out of your house. The poor man did, as the rabbi said, but hurried back again the next day. The chickens are gone, but rabbi, the goat, he moaned. The goat is smashing up all the furniture and eating everything in sight. The rabbi said, go home and remove the goat and may God bless you. So the poor man went home and took the goat outside, but he ran back again to see the rabbi crying and wailing. What a nightmare you have brought to my house, rabbi. With a cow, it's like living in a stable. Can human beings live with an animal like this? The rabbi said sweetly, my friend, you are right. May God bless you. Go home now and take the cow out of your house. And the poor man went quickly home and took the cow out of the house. The next day, he came running back to the rabbi again. Oh, rabbi, he said with a big smile on his face. We have such a good life now. The animals are all out of the house. The house is so quiet and we've got space to breathe. What a joy. We're not advising you to try that at home. <laughs> so let's move now into a time of prayer and reflection. Let's rest a while in this time and space. And I invite you to align yourself with all that you hold to be of ultimate worth those unknown dimensions of life and love within which our little lives are enacted. The story of a poor farmer who realizes that his life could be so much worse may make us smile with its imagery of a small home overrun with farm animals. But in truth, don't many of us know the reality that life does sometimes get worse? So let's rest for a moment in gentle awareness of, of any aspects of our own lives or the lives of those we love that, that are worse at this moment. May we all find the strength to face what must be done or endured and the ability to reach out for any assistance that might help.
and whatever is going on in your life right now, I invite you now, if you wish, to, to seek some inner gratitude for what you do have in life. Little though it may feel at times, Let us be people of gratitude. Gratitude for what we have. Both the possessions we can buy and the possessions that are priceless. Our inner nature. Our heritage. Our skills our friendships and loves. Now let's find gratitude for all who share with us their material wealth perhaps, <coughs> their time, their insights and experiences, their strengths and vulnerabilities. And when we go through the dark and lean times of life, may we remember that when we care for another, in truth, we care for ourselves. When we share with others, we give to ourselves. And this, this is the great cycle that is life, of giving, giving and receiving. A never failing circle of generosity for one and for all. This day and all days. Amen. Uh, we have a reading now it's uh, by John O'Donoghue and the words were so beautiful uh, that we put them on the hymn sheet in case you're somebody who likes to follow or take something home and pin it up on your fridge afterwards he calls it a blessing for one who is exhausted um, and I'm surprised how often that seems to fit as a, a description but he, I, you know I think, it, I think it actually fits for a number of human conditions see what you, what you think a blessing. When the rhythm of the heart becomes hectic, time takes on the strain until it breaks. Then all the unattended stress falls in on the mind like an endless increasing weight. The light in the mind becomes dim Things you could take in your stride before now become laboursome events of will. Weariness invades your spirit. Gravity begins falling inside you, dragging down every bone. The tide you never valued has gone out and you are marooned on unsure ground. Something within you has closed down and you cannot push yourself back to life. You have been forced to enter empty time. 
the desire that drove you has relinquished and there is nothing else to do now but rest and patiently learn to receive the self you have forsaken in the race of days. At first your thinking will darken and sadness take over like listless weather. The flow of unwept tears will frighten you. You have travelled too fast over false ground. Now your soul has come to take you back. Take refuge in your senses. Open up to all the small miracles you rushed through. Become inclined to watch the way of rain when it falls slow and free. Imitate the habit of twilight, taking time to open the well of colour that fostered the brightness of day. Draw alongside the silence of stone until its calmness can claim you. Be excessively gentle with yourself. Stay clear of those vexed in spirit. Learn to linger around someone of ease who feels they have all the time in the world. Gradually, you will return to yourself, having learned a new respect for your heart and the joy that dwells far within slow time. I think many of us have our own ways for coming back to ourselves, don't we? Especially when times are tough. And and I'm just going to repeat just a few of John O'Donoghue's lines because I think they so resonate with this month's theme of paying attention. Take refuge in your senses. Open up to all the small miracles you rushed through. Become inclined to watch the way of rain when it falls slow and free. (coughs) Because I think when we pay attention to our senses like that, we're brought into the present moment, aren't we? Our attention settles in the physical realm rather than in the busyness of these minds of ours. And we start to notice the good, the small miracles we may have been too busy for. So the music that we've chosen for this quiet time, it's a famous song. I'd be delighted if somebody had never heard it before. From the sound of music, my favourite things. But we're going to hear it a bit slower than usual. If you've seen the, the stage play or the film, you'll know that it's sung to a group of children whose lives are about to change forever when they flee their homeland of Austria as it's invaded by the Nazis. I wonder what favourite things we all think of in those tough times.
I'm going to lead us into a time of shared silence and meditation with a few words inviting you to think about your own sources of joy, which you're welcome to follow or not, as you wish. My words will be followed by a good, long period of shared silence, which will be ended by a chime from our Tibetan bowl. So I invite you to take this time to relax your breathing as you can and get your body comfortable in your chair, allowing your feet to settle fully on the floor and feel free to put down anything you're holding in your hands as you won't need anything for a while. If you wish, you can allow your eyelids to relax, softening your gaze or closing your eyes and allow your breaths to sigh out any tension or stresses you're holding. Each breath being deeper and more relaxing than the one before. And as you continue to breathe, I invite you to turn your attention inwards <coughs> as I prompt you to think of your favourite things. In life, we're presented with many experiences and many situations, some welcomed and some unwelcomed. And in turn, we can find that our moods and feelings can be influenced by what's going on around us feeling elated and on top of the world when things are going well, or feeling saddened, down and disheartened when things aren't going so well for us. And I'd like you to consider the idea that even in the times when we're feeling low. Little sources of goodness can lift us, such as a favourite food, a favourite book, a piece of music or rain after a long hot day, smelling flowers or hearing birds singing or a favourite view from a window. What is it for you? What lightens up your life, makes you smile, gives you hope, inspires you and, and makes life worthwhile? These might be things which you've always enjoyed or something you've just started finding pleasure in. Gently notice and be aware of what those things are for you as we settle into stillness and silence now.
Okay, noticing the good. You know absolutely everything, I reckon, what I'm going to say. Just sit back, create your own sermon for yourselves, and we can have a chat about it over a cup of coffee afterwards. I'm embarrassed to think how many people in this congregation have heard the story I'm going to tell at the beginning of this before. What can I say? Sorry. Um, Years ago, um, I was one of a group of teachers who experimented with a training program called BATPAC. We loved that name, BATPAC. The Behavioural Approach to Teaching Pack. Describing it simply, there was a lot to it, but the key exercise in this was that for a week we recorded a series of ticks. All the children's names were lined up there and we just ticked in two columns every time we spoke to a child in our class or even moved towards them, positively or negatively. And at the end of the week, we added up the ticks. And surprise, surprise, some children had far more ticks for negative comments received. And the following week, we focused on the three children who had received the most negative ticks. And for one week, and for one week only, the trainers promised us, we were not allowed to say anything negative to those children, just three of them. Only if something life-threatening was about to occur would we veer from entirely positive interventions. And at the end of that week, a group of us teachers sat and talked about the experience and described any changes that we'd noticed in those three children. And one boy in particular stays in my mind to this day because in that week, when I was only saying positive things to him, he smiled at me for the first time. And he helped me to unlock a cupboard door that I was struggling with. And I know that sounds such a tiny thing, doesn't it? But it wasn't. It was an enormous thing, actually, in my life, and I suspect in his too. We had a far better relationship from then on for the next five years that I was teaching him. And I remember him still. And you know, there's a tiny bit of me wishes that he would be listening into the podcast of this service and would recognize himself and get in touch with me. I shall let you know if that happens. That experience of accentuating the positive and eliminating the negative was a small but really very significant moment in my life because I learned that changing my perspective can change life for me but also change life for those that I interact with. I think the training made me a better teacher and probably a better human being too learning to stop myself from a downward spiral of negativity was powerful. This was back in the 80s, a very long time ago. And it's only since scientists have been able to do brain scans that we've started to understand why this noticing the good is such a useful tool in living a positive, pleasant life. I'm really grateful for the work of psychologist uh, Rick Hansen, who explains the um, findings of neuroscientists in simple language that, that people like me can understand. And he explains what you will know, that the human brain has a built-in negativity bias. And and I'm quoting him here, a built-in negativity bias. In other words, he writes, as we evolved over millions of years, dodging sticks and chasing carrots, it was a lot more important to notice, react to, and remember sticks than it was for carrots. 
That's because in the tough environments in which our ancestors lived, if they missed out on a carrot, well, they usually had another shot at one later on. But if they have failed to avoid a stick, a predator, a natural hazard, or aggression from others of their species, wham, no more chances to pass on their genes. That's words from Rick Hansen. He describes this so-called negativity bias as being like Teflon for good experiences. They happen, we notice them, they slide away from us as quickly as food leaves a non-stick frying pan. And he describes it as Velcro for bad experiences. You know those nasty shoe fasteners with hooks that get on your clothes and annoy. They stick to us, bad experiences, with lots of little hooks. And that's why one negative comment from someone can rattle around in our brains for days. That's why our news media tell us all the bad news. That's why, apparently in a relationship, we need five positive interactions to make up for one sharp comment about somebody's poor washing up ability. <laughs> so, you can see why noticing the good can take some effort on our part to counteract our brain's tendency to notice the bad, the worrying, the problem, the danger. Now, we have a, a fellow minister here in the congregation today, and he'll be able to back me up on this one, because some of us ministers need to keep a positive balance in life. I know it's going to be really hard for you to imagine in a congregation as supportive as Kensington Unitarians, but do you know some congregations give their ministers a hard time? Top of my list comes criticisms made straight after a service. I hate that hymn. <laughs> now, Sarah, you've got that all wrong about string theory. I didn't understand what you were talking about today. The room was too cold or too hot, etc., etc., etc. Feedback is important, and the timing of it makes all the difference. So, ministers tend to be the go-to people with complaints of all sorts. The toilet's blocked again. We're spending way over budget this year and it's only August. Somebody was nasty to me last Sunday. I really don't like so-and-so. Do you know, they said or did, dot, 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 again, and I want you to do something about it. <laughs> I've never heard any of these, it's just my colleagues have told me these stories. So that is why wise ministers keep a file of positive messages they've received over the years. Thank you cards, photos from happy ceremonies, copies of kind emails. In the unlikely event of something or someone upsetting me in my work, I go to that file and I'm reminded of the good. Now, I know some of you keep gratitude journals. It's one simple method of noticing the good at the end of each day. Just list three happy moments from the day that has just passed. This is meant to be a surefire winner for going to sleep well. Others of you know you know what makes you happy, and then you do as much of that as you can. I know that some of you are uplifted by music and the arts, by feeding birds and tending your patch of garden or window box. Do you know, I know that some of you actually enjoy cleaning and tidying, and that's why I invite you to come to church as often as possible and find the cleaning fluids. 
And I know quite a lot of us make a real effort to notice small kindnesses and really appreciate them. Some people have made lists of 10 really happy memories in life that they can return to when life is hard. Some people make lists of their favourite things like Maria did in The Sound of Music. Now, noticing the good is not a denial of reality. It isn't actually an eliminating of the negative. There is no such thing to do in life. No, it isn't saying that everything is wonderful when it's not. Now, when we learn to pay better attention to the present moment in life, well, surprise, surprise, there are going to be times when we are paying attention to difficult stuff. But you know, that's the key, I reckon. The key to being strengthened by our experiences rather than brought down by them. We pay attention to what is in all its many facets and we find someone to share it with if we can. In the sharing is the chance to understand ourselves and life a little more deeply. In the sharing is the opportunity to keep moving on, to kind of unhook ourselves from the Velcro of negativity that keeps us stuck. So just to end, here are some words of advice that are on your order of service sheet from American poet Mary Oliver, beloved of many of us, who observes the natural world with such lovely attention. Instructions for living a life. Pay attention. Be astonished. Tell about it. I really look forward to hearing what has astonished you recently in life. Amen. So Mary Oliver writes, Instructions for living a life. Pay attention. Be astonished. Tell about it. So let us in the week ahead be people who notice the good in ourselves, in those around us, and in our wider world. Let us be astonished by life in all its many forms and features. Let us remember in each moment the gift that it is to be alive here and now. Amen. Go well and blessed be.
not represent the views of the management. <laughs> <laughs>